Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast in another episode of Letterboxd. Recap the weekly episode where we go over what we've been watching for film, as well as rating the top four Letterboxd of five fans. Now, before we get into it, though, I just want to say that we uh, recently learned of the passing of the great William Friedkin, one of our favorite directors of all time. He really was a maverick filmmaker of American history. Everybody knows him for The Exorcist and for The French Connection and a couple of his other amazing films. We recommend checking out our cruising Sorcerer. Sorcerer is sick. So good. And then To Live and Die in L.A. If you haven't seen those, definitely add those to your watch list and you'll understand why he was such a legend. So rest in peace, William. Now let's get into the letterbox recap and start by rating five of our listeners top four now favorites. we we've done uh we've done this every week five every week and i have a list of 107 entrants goodness, goodness. so we're gonna be doing this for a long time i love it now we got, we got 25 21 weeks worth right now so many now we got brand brand's letterbox top four nothing but bangers nothing but bangers let's hear goodwill hunting banger. wicked awesome guy banger fight club banger t2 terminator 2 banger it's not T2 Judgment Day. I don't know why it's T2 <laughs> <laughs> And Whiplash. Banger. Wow. You're right. Bunch bangers. of bangers. I love it. Uh, what a great list. I might just, I mean, I got to put Goodwill Hunting on my top four sometime. You should. It's, it's just that good. That's a lot of Whiplashes in Goodwill Hunting. I feel like Whiplash is super common. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's a, my favorite it's an, Chazelle movie. It's an excellent film. Is it your favorite? No, I think First Man's still my favorite. Yeah, First I, Man's great. That movie's incredible. Yeah, it's so good. But, Bran... Excellent job. Next up, we got Derek from Derek Films. We have The Wizard of Oz. Whoa. Amazing, amazing choice. I like that. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Can't wait for the 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 movie about the ride. The ride? The the valets who take the car for a ride, the Ferrari. They're making oh that my god! They're making a movie of that, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So it's just going to be them driving around on their joyride? I guess so. I mean, it's not the same movie if, if Matthew Broderick isn't in it. I wonder what they'll call it. Ferris Bueller's valet parking? Like, what are they going to call the movie? <laughs> I don't know. Because it's an IP, basically, technically. Like, you'd know they want to use the name Ferris Bueller somehow. Because everyone would be like, what is this movie? <laughs> they'll, do the, uh, they'll do the music, for sure. Yeah, and then the we trailer. have... The Night of the Hunter, which is a great uh, 50s uh, kind of film noir. Excellent mm -hmm. black and white film. And then something you just watched a couple months ago, House. Oh, yeah. What a great list. I this is an eclectic list. This All is, over the place. This is honestly one of the more interesting lists I've ever seen. Same. Like the, the span of decades and then also genres is really interesting. This is great. Great list, Derek. Next up. Oh, yeah. You're going to like this one. <laughs> we got Cam Arnold. Their first pick. Ocean's Eleven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> Jim is already in love with it. Then we got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. What you got? Let's make a margaritas. It's a private road. <laughs> I torched one of them. <laughs> I started reading the book. It's crazy. That you gave me, and it's so good. It's There's so much about Rick and Cliff that just adds so much more to the characters that you didn't know when you watched the movie. It's, it's intense. There's I love Cliff's backstories. Yeah. There's so much. It's, it's literally like I said. I, I I brought I've brought it up on the show a few times. It's literally just you're inside Tarantino's head about movies. Half the time he just goes on rants about random movies. Legit. <laughs> I got so many movie <laughs> recommendations from that book. <laughs> yeah, you watched Repulsion. Yeah, 
It's Man. just like Tarantino, like just spewing his film thoughts into two <laughs> characters. It's really funny. <laughs> That's accurate. Then we got in- Interstellar. Oh yeah, you got the poster that he picked right there. Yes, sir. And then. The fucking the Patty guy. Oh man, what a list! The, the Patty. What a list! I love it. Cam, excellent picks. Great picks, Cam. Stellar stuff. Next up, we got Brooke. Brooke's been a fan of the show for a while, and we have La La Land. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent pick. The original Scream. Oh, one of my favorite horror movies. And man. this poster is great. It's like, look at this blue Drew Barrymore. Her oh, face very is, cool. Her face is blue with the red lipstick. I like it. I like that a lot. That's better than any... I think that's the best screen poster I've ever seen. I don't know. The OG one's just great. With all of them on a row? No, just with Sydney. Sydney. Sydney screaming. Sydney. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Sydney. <laughs> You're going to die tonight. I love this poster. Then we got Interstellar. <laughs> back to back. Also an excellent poster choice. I like this. It's a silhouette with a Coop walking in the... In like a empty planet. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, there's not a ton of great choices for Interstellar. Yeah, oddly, I, I looked at it recently. I was like, I mean, I, I would just pick the one you got. Yeah. Then we got, oh man, Brooke, I'm so glad you put this on your top four. Goodfellas. Hey. Ever since I, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Wow. I go from rags to riches. Hey, not bad. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Tony Bennett over here. <laughs> Next up, we got oh, Movie Junkie, a longtime fan. Movie Junkie also has a really good film Instagram, too. Check it out. We got Whiplash and Goodfellas. Wow. Back-to-back Goodfellas. And that's the third Chazelle, second Whiplash. La La Land. Yeah, the third, so two whiplashes and one La La Land. Oh, the La La Land also? Yeah, and this one. Whoa! And then Manon of the Spring, which I don't know. I don't um, know that movie either. Man, I gotta look this up. Manon of the Spring. Manon of the Spring. Is that international? It looks like it's UK. Okay. Okay. The be- a beautiful shy shepherdess plots vengeance on the man... Man whose greedy conspiracy to acquire her father's land caused his death years earlier. Sounds great. It's French. Cool. The uh, lead actress from Mission Impossible, the first one, is the lead of it. Oh, no way. I gotta check this out. It sounds really good. I love a good revenge western. What's its rating on Letterboxd? Eight. eight. Oh, 8.0 on IMDb. 8.0? Yeah. Oh, I gotta add this to my watch list, too. On Letterboxd, I doubt it has anything. I doubt I it. I doubt it. Of the spring. 3.9. But less than a thousand reviews. That's crazy. I'm adding it to my watch list. Oh, it already is on my watch list. I oh, I I did look into this film a couple weeks ago. I remember I was like, oh, this looks interesting. Movie junkie. Thanks for the suggestion. <laughs> That's our five for today. Cool. Let's get into our watches now. Alright, Jim. How many did you watch this week? Only four. Slow week. I got nine. I feel like Buddy the Elf. <laughs> how many how many etch sketches did you get done? 46 53 <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go first then. I have 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9. 9. First one I watched was Inception. Just cuz it was after Oppenheimer and I I wanted to watch another Nolan film. Mm-hmm. And uh we were also doing we did a Chris Nolan ranking episode, so I was like, I got to watch another one. Yeah. So I wrote 
five stars, obviously, on Letterboxd. And I wrote, Christopher Nolan somehow managed to pull off the impossible feat of following up The Dark Knight with another groundbreaking piece of grand-scale cinema and inception. Crafting this brilliant and completely original story on an even larger scope than his previous films proved that he was without a doubt the most exciting new director working in Hollywood and the future of blockbuster filmmaking. Inception still holds up after nearly 15 years as a fascinating concept which was executed perfectly and showcases incredible cinematography, stunning production elements, and an extremely talented ensemble cast led by the superstar Leonardo DiCaprio who fits Nolan's flawed hero archetype with great ease. The practical stunt work and set pieces are still jaw-dropping, with the highlights being that freight train crashing through downtown Los Angeles in the legendary hallway fight, which absolutely floors me. This iconic sci-fi film is still one of Nolan's greatest feats as a filmmaker and can definitely be looked at as his best film. He's on one of the most insane film runs ever. Dude, holy go, shit. If you go back to like Batman Begins. To Zero misses. Batman Begins, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, Inception. Just those two back-to-back is absurd. The fact, I mean, he... Rises, yeah. Interstellar. If you just look at post-Batman, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, Oppenheimer. That's the, absurd. That's insane. And that's not even counting the Batman that's films. In, that's or, an all-time or Incep- filmmaker. Or Inception. That's like an all-time filmmaker. Yeah, if you split his filmography in half... And just say they're two different directors. They're both all-timers. Two Hall of Fame careers. Yes, it's the same thing as like Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. If you saw his career in half. Yeah, yeah. First 10 years Hall of Fame and second 10 years Hall of Fame. Both both, both halves all-time greatest quarterback. Absolutely. Both halves. And y'all y'all can't deny that, all you football fans. Anyways. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, Chris Nolan is the Tom Brady of movies is what we're saying. Basically. What's your next one? <laughs> next up, we watched The Nice Guys. Yes, we had a watch party. Discord watch party of The Nice Guys. So much fun. Comedies work best for the watch parties, I think, because with more serious films or horror films, uh, there's less incentive to like be chatting throughout throughout the film. But with the nice guys, with comedy, we're all just shooting the shit the whole time, goofing off. So it's a, it's a better experience, I think. And I wrote four and a half stars on Letterboxd. God, I wish they made a sequel to this. Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling are hilarious together in Shane Black's excellent ode to the classic P.I. film genre. Possessing great tone, music, setting, laughs, mystery, action, and heart, the Nice Guys holds up as a reliable good time with every watch. Ryan Gosling taps into his comedic chops, bringing out a lot of physical humor and gags, which perfectly plays opposite Russell Crowe's tough guy. Definitely recommend. I gave it four stars. Absolutely hilarious, with some of the best lines we've had in a comedy in years. The first hour is immaculate, but the pacing of the second half slows it down a bit. Gosling and Crowe have insane chemistry, and it devastates me that we will we will never get a sequel due to poor box office performance. Man, it would have been so good. It would have been so good. It does slow down. It, it, I, I get your pacing. It issues. doesn't. It doesn't finish very well. It, it's trying to end. Yeah, but there's like two long endings. It's it's a really long third act. Yeah, I get what you mean. You know I what totally mean? get it. Yeah. Like you think it's gonna end, but then it's like, oh, there's still more to go on. Under- yeah, I agree. Because the first hour is magnetic. The f- and just the first 20 minutes is just amazing. F- so funny. So much fun. All right, what you got next? Next up, I wanted to watch a James Bond movie. And I've only seen No Time to Die once. So I watched it again. It's on Amazon Prime. Oh, my God. I love this movie. The, um, the Craig movies. The Craig Bond era. It had a couple of duds, but it had three fucking excellent movies. And No Time to Die is one of them. Casino Royale, Skyfall, 
No Time to Die. Amazing movies. And No Time to Die, it's so gorgeous and beautifully filmed. It's um, Damien Chazelle's cinematographer. Excellent DP. Only always shoots on film. And this is shot on film. Incredible imagery. Beautiful natural lighting. And this, the way he lights his sets are, it's just magnificent. And I mean, honestly, I put it up as just as well shot as Skyfall, honestly. It's that fucking good looking. And I was, I was just watching this movie and I was like blown away by the camera work and the sets. And, and Daniel Craig gives one of the best performances of his Bond era. I love the cast. I love the new 007. I love um, the all of our returning favorites. And then Lea Seydoux is one of my favorite um, international actors. And she's really fantastic. This film has a lot more to do. Christoph Waltz gets a good send-off for his lame, kind of underwhelming character, Inspector. He has an excellent scene in this film. Um, but I think the script is really strong. It's got to do with a, a virus. Uh, it's just very timely, too. It's funny how it came out. I think that the film... It is very much underrated. It's only a 3.5 on Letterboxd. What? 3.5. People didn't like this movie. I enjoyed the hell out of it. A lot of people hate it because they killed Bond. And it's like, guys, get over it. There's going to be more Bond movies. He's, it's just like so many people online. I can't believe they killed Bond. Like, Bond dead? They this killed makes Superman. Me, and I can't believe Bond is a dad. They hate, that, they, they hate those two decisions. Bond is a dad. And then Bond dead. I'm like, do you, want century, something? do you just want the same thing over and over again? How about you let them try something different? And for me, those two things really worked in this film. And I think it's absolutely, arguably, the best Bond film of the Craig era. I still think, sadly, how he did not get to be part of his family. Yeah, it's, it was tragic. It still makes me sad. I cried. I cried again the other night. I cried. It's uh, Linus Sangren. Thank is, you, Linus, yeah. Is the uh, cinematographer. Excellent DP. Yeah, he's, he does uh, works with Gus Van Sant, David O. Russell, and Chazelle. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. What a movie, though. It really is. It's one of my favorite Bond movies of all I time. Love, it has I love everything it. you love about Bond. It hits all the elements, everything you want. Yeah. All right, do another one. Yes, sir. Next up, I watched Persona, Ingmar Bergman's classic film from Sweden. Five stars. Bergman's brilliant portrayal of the inner conflicts of the human spirit with cinematography that makes most modern movies look like network TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's uh, an amazing film. Uh, two really dynamic performances from the lead actresses. Liv Ullman, one of Bergman's most used actors, is really phenomenal in this role. And she actually says very few words, but it's all physical acting. It's all with her face, and she's just really remarkable. Um, this is one of the most beautifully shot films of the era. Uh, it's all black and white cinematography. It takes place on very few locations, very small sets, but still the imagery is iconic. You've seen people like spoof it multiple times some of these shots it really deserves all the praise that it gets because it's a very very brilliant movie that the kind of movie that rarely gets made great i love it haven't seen it in a while maybe i'll have to get revisit it soon maybe you will i watched pain and glory from yes. pedro almodovar this came out in 2019 it is exceptional it's so well made very philosophical meditative i gave it four and a half stars and wrote Pedro Almodovar's semi-autobiographical film stars the brilliant Antonio Banderas as a film director, Salvador Malo, who suffers from countless physical ailments, intense depression, and social isolation as he reflects on his life when, he fir when his first film gets a 30th anniversary re-release. Salvador takes an emotional journey through his childhood, his relationship with his mother, and his relationship with his former lover in Madrid. 
Afraid that he may never make another film again due to his countless illnesses, Salvador must face his fear and pursue the only thing that will keep him alive. Antonio's terrific in this. It's a nonlinear story of this character who literally has every debilitating disease you could think of an ailment, not just physical, but mental as well. He's intensely depressed. Even though he's had a very successful film career, he can't make movies because he's in so much physical pain all the time. It's the only thing that gives him life. He like, can't even leave his house really, right? Yeah, barely, yeah. barely. Yeah. He's basically a recluse. And this is his first film, it's getting a re-release 30th year anniversary. And it kind of reinvigorates his passion as well as a very ambiguous ending of what happens to him that I don't want to talk, that I don't want to spoil. But also much of it is a reflection on his past, specifically his relationship with his mother in Growing up in poverty, growing up in very poor towns and, and pueblos, and then how her eventual death, because Antino's older, his, his mother's dead, how they approached her death when it was her time to go. And he's reflecting on that relationship as well as his childhood, basically coming kind of coming to terms with everything that's motivated his life as well as not being completely accepted by his mother. It's a great tragic tale, and Penelope's excellent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a really amazing performance from Antonio. It's, I think it's his best performance I've seen. Yeah, he's do. awesome. The last yeah. shot was terrific. Yeah. I did not see that coming. Yeah, it's it's really really phenomenal film. And I mean, it's rare for such a a director with such a long history of making movies to still like possibly make his best movie this late in the game. Yeah, well, it's similar to Spielberg, where they yeah. both kind of just made their semi autobiographical films. Mm-hmm. This was very much inspired by Pedro's real life for True. his for his entirety, and like these experiences, a lot of them happened to him. I, that train scene where they're sleeping is like that's yeah. like so powerful. Yeah, my God, <sighs> so good. All right, next up, we're getting into the Studio Ghibli movies. So I watched Princess Mononoke. I gave it five stars. It's tremendous. I wrote, wow, this film is absolutely breathtaking in its imagery, storytelling, and real-world relevance. A stunning fantasy story with incredible characters, which feels like an ancient myth passed down by generations. This is really, I was just floored by this movie. I was I had pretty high expectations because people kept saying it's fantastic and recommending it to me, um, but it, it met those expectations and it was just a really layered, well written, complex story with very resonant themes. And it is not for children. There is some brutal violence and some crazy gore in this movie. Like within ten minutes, I was like, "Oh shit, damn, okay, <laughs> I see, what, I see what you're doing." So it's got um, that element to it, which I really enjoyed the the brutal violence and. Some excellent gore. Um, great, great sequences and action sequences. And there's a couple of war sequences. But beautiful animation. Really just beautiful cinematography all around. And color design and characters. Um, and, and the story is very strong. I just really adore the film. So I'm looking forward to... I'm probably going to do a, a Ghibli movie like one a week until cool. I watch them all. Nice. Got to catch them all. Got to catch them all. Do another one. Next up, I watched Ikiru, which is an old Akira Kurosawa film. And I wrote, my heart, sad emoji, such a powerful tragedy and examination of the human spirit set against the deconstruction of the soul-sucking failure of bureaucracy. So this film's about a man who's been working for the city government for 30 years, and he finds out he has terminal cancer. He only has about six months left to live, and he's having this realization that he did nothing with his life. He, just, he never missed a day of work. He never wasn't just in the office and so now he's trying to find a reason to live or something to um, 
he's basically look, searching for something to have an impact in terms of his life leaving an impact on the world in some way and he makes it upon, he takes it upon himself to take up this problem with a local park that's been flooded with sewage and he's trying to get the city to approve turning this into a, a beautiful park and fixing the sewer problem um, but the whole idea of bureaucracies is you know every department keeps passing the issue onto a different department you know water, public works goes oh no that's not a public works that's a parks department thing and then parks department is like oh no that's like a, a land planning thing and so whenever there's an issue in the bureaucracy of the city whatever the issue is people just get their the runaround they just get, keep getting sent in circles and nobody wants to solve anything and none of the department heads want to solve anything and so he takes it upon himself to try and fix this and it's it's a really incredible tragedy it's a really beautiful film so well shot by Kurosawa and his team. It's just dynamic filmmaking and cinematography and an excellent performance from the lead actor. It's, it's just really uh, astounding filmmaking and, and very, very good movie. I highly recommend. Gonna have to put it on the watch list. Definitely. Sounds great. Did we watch the same movie next? No. All right, we'll do another one then. Okay. <laughs> this kid, this is an Anthony podcast. <laughs> next up, I watched Amadeus, which is a really fun film by Milos Foreman. It's uh, I gave it four and a half stars. I hadn't seen it in a while. I didn't write a review. I just, I sometimes I don't feel like writing reviews. Yeah, not I mean, not every too. not yeah, every you, time. You don't have to. Yeah, but this is a a really fun like, it's not like a fake biography, but it's a very fictional biography about Mozart. Um, and so in this film, there's another great composer, Antonio Salieri, and he was a composer in Vienna at the same time as Mozart. Uh. And then this film is based on a play that um, that was put on first, and so Milos Forman adapted the play into a film. It's basically a fun fictional account of their relationship and uh, Mozart's rise to prominence and uh, this crazy rivalry they they didn't have in real life, but in the movie it's fun. And Salieri, the rivalry is really between him and Sal in Mozart, where he he despises Mozart but can't help but uh, bask in the glory of Mozart's genius, and it hates makes him hate him even more. Um, F. Murray Abraham actually plays Antonio Salieri. He's the lead. He won the Oscar for Best Lead Actor for this film. I believe this won Best Picture as well. Definitely got nom nominated for a lot of things. But what's fun is that it's such a comedy, and they portray Mozart as this vulgar, eccentric, immature, childlike like man-child who's just running around, just causing mayhem and chaos and drinking and eating and and partying all day long and being uh, late to all of his being shows late and it, <laughs> it's a great contract contradiction to the the genius of his work and this film it's not based on events obviously but what does make it special is its production and it puts you it transports you into the world of that time and how um composers and orchestrators were the basically filmmakers of their time they're putting on operas they are creating the entertainment for the masses and so they were the celebrities of their time. And I love that aspect of the film. It's really, really well acted. Incredible cinematography. Just like absolutely breathtaking cinematography and production design. So fucking goddamn good. And it's just a lot of fun. And if you love classical music, it's up there for all timers. It's just, for any fan of classical, you got to watch this movie. Now, the next film was definitely one we, we yes, watched. Yes, sir. So this was Spider-Man 3. We did another watch party on Discord. For Cal's birthday. Happy birthday, Cal. I gave this four stars, and this is maybe the like fifth or sixth time I've seen it, and I wrote, the first 30 minutes is impeccable. However, Harry's amnesia has a ton of plot holes, <laughs> and it feels like a soap opera at times, but I can't look away whenever I watch it. 
and it does feel like a soap opera. A lot of the dialogue, it, it reminds me of like um, Days of Our Lives, y- not Days, of, yeah, but also um, Attack of the Clones. Yes, 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 yes. Episode right. two yeah. reminds me yeah. of that a lot, as well as you know the amnesia. The part about it that I str- struggle with the most is, of course, I think if Harry didn't lose his memory and was just the main villain, that would have been the best yeah. move for the movie. I, I think that would have been the best plot. However, the fact that he's going through amnesia, how does he not soon discover that he's superpowers? I don't know, man. How does he not soon like accidentally like trip and like do a backflip and land or on like his rip feet? a car door off by yeah, accident? Yeah, like how? Like that's the thing. Like at least with Andrew in Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man. We have that great bathroom scene after he gets his powers and he can't even turn a doorknob. But Harry has the power of the Green Goblin, the same strength, arguably, as Spider-Man. And he doesn't know but it. But he doesn't know he, it? He would definitely affect the things around him. You would find out in like 10 minutes it's of like, being awake. It's like Goku after training in the hyperbolic time chamber and he's like crushing everything he eats at the dinner table. And it's like he would be too strong to, um, to not notice it. And also very adept in sensories. Being able to hear and smell yeah. and see things so this, incredible. I mean, Spider-Man 4 has a lot of problems, but I still gave it four stars because I think it's really enjoyable, and I just love the characters, man, and I think it has so much potential that uh, yeah, up to, but I still love it. I gave it three and a half stars. I just, I just don't really l- like it that much. I think it's good. I wrote excellent action sequences, can't save strange story directions, and cringy-ass dialogue. Sam Raimi does a fantastic job with the big set pieces, but the amnesia plot always loses me. And on top of that, the female characters are poorly written. Yeah. And I got to knock it for that. And yes, the action's good. Um, I don't think that's a problem of too many villains because there are movies that pulled off lots of villains well. It's a matter of the writing and the story. They could have pulled it off if it was better written. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't think it's too many cooks in the kitchen in terms of villains. It obviously overwhelmed the plot. They didn't find a way of weaving them in well. I think the Sandman's plot of retrofitting um, Peter's backstory with Uncle Ben's death was just stupid. I hate that. They completely changed who actually killed Uncle Ben for this film just to make Peter have a connection to Sandman in the past. I just I just don't like that at all. I don't like how, like, I obviously hate Harry's amnesia and then how it just comes back out of nowhere just because the plot asks it to. Sandman basically disappears for about an hour after their tunnel, after their sewer fight. And then he pops up when the plot needs him to. And then um, the MJ storyline, none of it really works. And MJ and Peter never felt like a couple at all. Uh, A strength of the modern ones and a strength strength of the Holland ones and the Garfield ones were their love interests felt like they were dating. And they felt like they were in relationships. Whereas this one, they're together, but they don't feel like they're together in any way, shape, or form. There's nothing that resembles being in in a loving relationship whatsoever. So... I didn't even feel like they were a couple in this movie, which I think was a major mistake because so much was built up to them being together. And there's just, I think this, it all comes down to the writing with this movie. Yeah. All right, what you got next? Next up, final movie I watched was The Third Man, Orson Welles' Black Noir Thriller, which he made shortly after Citizen Kane. I gave it four and a half stars. I love this movie. It's an old movie. It's 41, but it's just such a standout. You can see how many movies and films borrowed from it it's got some excellent twists an amazing chase sequence at the end of the film just absolutely incredible sequence great acting but an excellent mystery the story's well well written and then the cinematography is just really wonderful excellent camera movements which were um, still coming into fruition at that time amazing cinematography dutch angles great lighting 
Um, and Orson Welles, once he comes on screen, he's just something. About, that guy was just something else, man. He mm-hmm. was an amazing artist on in front of and behind the camera. My final film was The Insider. We talked about this in our Best Movies of 1999 episode, which drops on Monday. Oh, yeah. It hasn't even come out yet. And Anthony said something in that episode that intrigued me to finally get around to watching Michael Mann's film from 1999 that stars Al Pacino and Russell Crowe. He said, it's the best movie from 1999. (laughs) So this is my review. Four stars. I said it's arguably one of the best best movie. Anthony said this is the best movie. The Matrix is the best movie. Anthony (laughs) said this is the best movie from 1999, and I knew he was wrong. (laughs) Is that in your review? Yeah. (laughs) It's still excellent, though. Michael Mann is a legend. That's my review for The Insider. <laughs> I thought it was really good. It was, it was very long, though. It's long. It's very long. And I I noticed a couple of technical errors. There's some audio things that I heard that didn't mm-hmm. sound great. Um, but it's still a really good movie. It's so well acted. And I, I really enjoyed the story. It was insane how true it was. It's, it's about the whistleblower of Big Tobacco, how... Cigarettes are actually addictive and considered drugs, but they were covering up for years. And it's about Russell Crowe plays the whistleblower whose life is being destroyed after he gets fired from a big tobacco company. And then Al Pacino plays a producer of 60 Minutes who's trying to get his testimony out in public and run a show and, and bring big tobacco down, essentially. However, corporate interests and money mess everything up, and Russell Crowe's character pretty much loses everything by telling the truth. And it's really incredible and sensational, but it's not the best movie from 1999. Oh, yeah, I agree. I said The Matrix was the best movie um, from 1999. You said in the episode, I just edited it. <laughs> you said, I think the best movie from 1999 is not on this list, <laughs> on the top 10 list. Okay. You said that. All right, if I said that, I said it. You have, you have the tape. But the, I would, the Matrix is the best movie. I think this is uh, the second best movie. Wow, 1999. bold! I uh, watch it again, like in the next couple of years. It might change. You might like it better. Maybe. Yeah, you might like it. Maybe. Better. All yeah. right. Um, that's my letterbox. That's it. That wow. was a good one. That was that was great. Yeah. Got got plenty in there. So thanks everyone for tuning into this letterbox recap number eleven episodes this week. Yesterday we dropped a movies from memory episode on the Matrix. Speak of the devil. The worst movie of 1999. On Thursday we are doing an episode spot of actor spotlight on the career of Killian Murphy. You don't want to miss that. Monday, we have 1999, A Year in Film, and then we got some more stuff coming after that. We're crushing it. We're crushing it. So thanks so much for tuning in around the world. Leave those five-star reviews on Spotify and Apple and become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Take also, care. Also, sorry to interrupt. Um, a few people aren't sure. If you want to send in your top four, just DM it to us on Instagram. Yeah. That's DM a, top that's four perfect. on Instagram. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.